Hello, God. To or ever pray to God like that, do we? Yeah. But here's the, here's the truth, though. You know, when you lack a really true connection with God, I mean, if you lack intimacy with God, those are really kind of the conversation and prayers we really kind of end up having because those kinds of conversations or those kinds of thoughts and ideas really kind of come out of a lack of connection, true connection, or really any kind of true intimacy with God. The thing that I think is really important to always remember when we're going through stuff like this is I know sometimes you can just kind of feel like, you know, that whole concept of intimacy, that whole concept of, you know, being connected with God, and and maybe you kind of see yourself right now, maybe where you are in your spiritual walk, and maybe you just kind of feel like, you know, I'm just not there. Um, I mean, you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm really kind of way out in left field when it comes to intimacy with God or kind of a real deep connection with God. And the thing that I just, again, want to impress upon your hearts, I mean, you can have the faintest glimmer of desire for that. I mean, you could, you could see yourself kind of so far removed from that right now that, that when you hear me talking about intimacy and connection with God, you may just kind of feel like, man, I just feel a thousand miles away from that. But what I want to tell you is if there is the faintest glimmer or the faintest hope or desire in your heart to move in that direction, God will meet you. I mean, God will work with that. You know, it may not be much, but God will work with even the faintest desire. And again, we kind of talked about this whole concept, you know, a lot of times we kind of buy into this idea that, that a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. Um, and one of the things we've kind of discovered as we've talked about this is, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but doesn't pursue it. So you can be here tonight and you can be pursuing or wanting a deeper connection and intimacy with God, and you kind of see yourself as not being where you'd like to be or where you'd hope to be or where you think you should be. But again, if you've got the faintest hope, uh, just the slimmest of desire, and you're saying, you know, God, I'm not there. I I don't even know how to get there, but I want to get there. I want to pursue this. Even in the faintest of desires, God will work with that. Um, and, and God will meet you in that. And so don't, don't sit here tonight and just think because that maybe you're not where I'm at or maybe you're not where your spouse is at or maybe where somebody else is at in their connection or their intimacy with God. Don't let that be um, the issue. Just say, you know what, God, it's not much, but I really have a desire to want to move in that direction. And God will work with you um, on that. And so... I want to just kind of keep talking about, you know, how do we develop that? How do we deepen that? Um, And so I kind of want to just unpack tonight one of the major ways that God really begins to work that transformation in our lives. So take us where we maybe see ourselves right now, and, and how does God draw us deeper? How does he take us deeper into that connection and that intimacy um, with him. And one of the most crucial factors 
um, that uh, comes to developing and deepening our intimacy or that connection uh, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, again, is through transformation. I know that's a big, big word, so tonight I kind of want to talk about what that means, how God, you know, practically in very literal ways uses that with us, how God will... will, transform us, how God will conform us, how God will make us more and more in the image um, of his son. You know, this is the process that God is going to use to kind of enlighten or to kind of bring revelation uh, to your heart. This is what, this is how God's going to ignite your heart with passion um, and uh, just a desire for more of him. So I want to talk about how God does that, how he does that through transformation. As a matter of fact, without godly transformation, without God kind of coming and transforming our hearts, we will never get very far in pursuing intimacy um, with him. But rather, we'll kind of just remain in kind of this perpetual state of frustration, or you know, we'll, we'll be having these kinds of conversations we saw uh, on the video uh, with God. But what is God's design? What's his plan um, for how we grow and develop spiritually? What is God's prescription for my transformation, your transformation, and that heart change um, that's going to lead us and take us into deeper and greater intimacy uh, with him? The key transformational principle that God uses, this is the plan that God uses for every one of us, is this principle of beholding and becoming. That's in simple, simple terms, and we're going to spend the rest of the night talking about what does that look like? What do I mean when I talk about that key transformational principle, beholding and becoming? Very simply, what you behold, you will become. What you behold, you will become. And so the Apostle Paul is the one who kind of gives us the framework Uh, for this uh, principle in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but he said, but we all, that means every one of us, that there's no exception, okay? It's not just for the men, not just for the women. It is, he says, but we all, every one of us, this applies to, he says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of, of the Lord. You know, Jason led that in worship tonight. The glory of the Lord rise among us. What do we mean by that? I mean, when we talk about the glory of God, what do we mean by that? We're talking about the weightiness of who he is. We're talking about the profoundness of who God is. That's his glory. It's his weightiness. May the manifestation of who he is rise among us. That's the glory. It's the weightiness of who he is. It's the the profoundness. It's the depth, the unsearchable riches. That's his glory. Let that rise among us. And so he says, beholding as in a mirror, the glory, the weightiness, the profoundness, of the Lord, as we behold that, what he says there is, 
you are being transformed into what you are beholding. So as you behold the glory, the weightiness, the awesomeness, the, the profoundness of God, as you behold that, Paul says it's like in a mirror. You will become what you behold. So, so he says there, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another degree of glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That, Paul's picking that up. That is the beholding, becoming principle. What you behold, you become. In other words, whatever you understand, whatever you comprehend, whatever you understand about God's heart, his desire, his intentions toward us is what we will become in our heart towards God and eventually towards one another. So if you behold a mean, stingy, God, if that, is, if that is your perception, if that is your understanding, your concept of God, God is mean, he is stingy, he is a killjoy, you will become distant and you will begin to withhold parts of yourself from God and from one another. If you understand or you behold God as a loving, generous, gracious, kind God, guess what? You're going to become more loving, more kind, more generous in your response to God and to one another. Because what you behold is what you become. If we behold God's glory, again, that weightiness, that awesomeness, that profound depth, those unsearchable riches, if that's what we behold, Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says, the Holy Spirit will begin to transform and conform you into something glorious. So when you behold the glory of the Lord, you're going to become glorious. As you behold the glory of the Lord, you are going to be changed. You're going to be transformed into the very thing you are beholding. So the way we live, the way we relate to God, to one another, is completely dependent and contingent on our view of God. I mean, I used to have this, you know, image of God that God was very distant, that God was very, very busy. I mean, he's running a world for goodness sakes. There's a lot of people. It's not just me. And so I really need to save my times of going to God for like the really big, big issues or the, when, when things just get so desperate and I have nowhere else to turn, I'm going to go to God with my problems. That was my, that was my view of God. Where do you think I beheld that? 
Where do you think I got that view? My dad. That's how I experienced my dad. Dads, basically your kids, I mean, they, they are going to really understand a lot about the fatherhood of God from their fathers. And my dad was very distant. My dad was very, very busy. Never bothered my dad. I only went to my dad when I absolutely needed my dad, when, when things were really, really kind of desperate and I had nowhere else to turn. I would go to my dad. And so when I, when I would hear that God is a father, he became what I beheld. See, and for a lot of you, you probably carry around a lot of the image that you have of Father God really is based off of your image of your earthly father. And that, that's for you ladies, men. So for me, I really had to kind of come in and just realize my, my earthly father, I love my dad. My dad's a great guy. We get along great, and there's no issues, um, but he wasn't perfect. So I, I've had to learn how to really kind of understand the heart of God is nothing like the heart of my dad. Um, and so I had to really kind of begin to change the way I beheld my heavenly father, because that's kind of how I was in my relationship with God is kind of how I was with my dad. So again, the way we live, the way we relate to God, to one another, really is completely dependent and it is contingent on our view of God. And so the, the job for me was I really had to get my view of God more in line with Scripture than my upbringing. Now again, when God wants to awaken love in you, okay, and he wants to do that for all of us, Okay, his method to do that, when he wants to awaken love in you, is God is going to begin to reveal himself to you as a lover, the lover of mankind. Jesus, lover of my soul. When God wants to awaken love in you, he is going to begin to reveal himself as a God who loves you passionately, deeply, unconditionally. So when he reveals himself that way to you, it awakens love in us. When we behold the love of God, we will become more loving. More loving towards God, more loving towards ourselves, more loving towards one another. 1 John 4.19 confirms this. We love God. Why? Why do you love God? Because he took the initiative and loved you first. That's the, that's the only reason. There is nothing in us that would awaken love towards God but for the fact that we have already received his love. That the, the love we have received from God awakens within us a desire, a passion to want to love him. I love him because he first loved me. When God wants to awaken holiness in you, and, and again, that God 
God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. And I'll tell you what, happiness is the byproduct of true holiness. I've never ever met somebody who is truly holy and not happy. I've met a lot of people who think they're holy and they're very unhappy, which tells me there's not a lot of holiness in that. If, if you're holy and unhappy, you're not holy because happiness is a byproduct of holiness. I mean, holy people, we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. So when God wants to awaken holiness in us, he does that by revealing himself to us in his holiness. Be holy as I am holy, is what the scripture says. Again, that idea is we will become what we behold. We will enjoy God because God initiated that by enjoying us first. My delight is in you. I rejoice over you with singing. And that's what the scripture says. We only pursue God because he first pursued us. We become dedicated to God because we see that God is first dedicated to us. We become obedient to God through costly sacrifice because we see he was first in offering up his one and only begotten son through costly sacrifice. We don't, we don't beat God to any of this. We don't top God. God is the initiator of it all. And if God didn't initiate it, we wouldn't have it, do it, or be it. It's because God initiated everything and we're simply responding to what he's initiated. So the more of God we behold and the more that what we behold is true, it is biblical, it is godly, it's righteous, however you want to term that, the more of God we behold in truth the more we will become like him because what you behold, you will become. That's the way of transformation. There's no other way to be transformed. One of the purposes in Jesus coming to earth as God, there were many, but one of those reasons was to reveal and to make known to us who God the Father truly is. I mean, there, we had a, a, a lot of misconceptions about God. You, you see those in the Old Testament. You see a lot of misconceptions they had of God in the Old Testament. And Jesus came to correct those. Jesus being the exact representation and fullness of God's being came to disclose, to reveal, to show to us the true nature and heart and attribute of God the Father. What Jesus reveals to you and I through the scriptures about the exact nature of God and his attributes, that's what we call revelation. And every, if you've got a Bible, you have got the revelation of God in this. 
And this is what you begin to base the truth of who God is. And when you begin to base the truth of who God is based upon God's word, as you behold that, you will become. That's, it's the way of transformation. And so when we talk about, you know, again, the, the, the truth or, or, or the, the beholding of that, again, we call that revelation. So when we talk about intimacy with God, we're talking about experiencing, comprehending, um, peering into, um, experiencing the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus' heart, the Father's heart towards you and I, as well as the unveiling, the revealing of our hearts, first and foremost, oftentimes to ourselves but also to God. So there is this mutual self-disclosure of his heart towards us and our heart and our lives towards him. Remember, I, I mean, I know you, some of you don't get here every week, but again, this is, this is the foundation of true intimacy, to be fully known and to be fully loved in that full disclosure. Now, every one of us here have issues, problems, faults, mistakes, failures. I mean, however you want to color that. That's part of that full disclosure. And, And we talked about God doesn't start loving you once you get that all figured out. God doesn't start loving you once you get your act all cleaned up. God loves you unconditionally where you are right now. Faults, you know, mistakes, sins, failures. God sees it all. Our hearts, our lives are fully disclosed to him. He sees it all. And yet, still chooses to love us unconditionally. That's the foundation of intimacy. To be fully known. And that's why marriage is the greatest example that we'll ever have on planet Earth of the kind of relationship that, that God created us to have with him. I mean, you know, your spouse, I mean, like it or not, knows more about you. You know, they, they see you. I mean, my wife sees me when I'm not up here. And some of what she sees it isn't good. She doesn't like it. She wants me to change. But yet, even in that, she fully loves me. She's fully committed to me. And, and, and that is just a glimpse of God's heart towards you and I. He sees our junk. And yet... In that full disclosure, says, my heart, my love for you is at a maximum. As a matter of fact, I can't love you any more than I already do because my love for you is already at its fullest. But God, what about this and this? And God, I messed up here. And, and God, it doesn't matter. That is true. And that's what we're, that's that relationship we're invited into. 
No condemnation, no guilt, no shame. We can have conviction. We can have, and we need repentant hearts. We, 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 there are times where we grieve over the things that we do, but it doesn't change his love. That's the foundation of intimacy. And, and see, if you've got this concept that you've got to get it together, that you've got to kind of be living perfect life for so long before God will accept you or love you, you'll never, ever, ever find that connection or that intimacy that God longs for with you. It's just coming to accept that he loves me in spite of all the junk. That's the foundation of intimacy. I have no idea where I am in my notes back there, so... So when the Apostle Paul talks again about us beholding the glory of the Lord, there in 2 Corinthians 3.18, what he's really calling you and I to do is, is he's saying, pause, time out. Take a moment here to behold. And this is what we do in, in this is, can be like a form of meditation. It's where we, we take maybe scripture, we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. Uh, toward the end, if I get there. Um, but that's, uh, that's the idea. It, it's to behold that. It's just to begin to look at that, to meditate, to ponder that. Let it sink in. Let the word of God wash over your heart, over your spirit. And what, what God begins to do is he just begins to use that to change your perception of yourself, change your perception about him, to bring your perception of him more in line with who he really is. And as you just begin to experience that and ponder and meditate and just, just drink that in, God just begins to peel back even more of that glory more of those attributes. And, and God just lets you begin to experience all those things at deeper levels. And here's the beauty of it. There's no end to that. God isn't going to peel away attributes about himself, characteristics of who he is, and then you're going to reach a point, you know, a trillion years from now, and God's going to go, that's all I got. It'll never happen. We're just always going to stand amazed. We're always going to be pondering and drinking in who God is. And we're just all, our hearts are always just going to be amazed. That's the beauty of eternity. So as we behold that, as we just look upon it, again, uh, those attributes, and God wants, wants you to see the attributes that he holds towards you. This isn't, this isn't just about us to see who God is. This is also an opportunity for God to show us how he sees us. Here are my attributes. Here, here is my heart towards you. Man, when you start to get a glimpse of that, it changes you. It, it awakens in you a desire. I want to know more. I want to know more of how you see me. I want to know more of your heart towards me because what you're showing me, that's powerful. And it's, it's bringing change in my heart. That's what, that's what God's doing. 
That, again, that's that intimacy. Remember back in Exodus 33 and 34 when Moses requested to see God's glory? God, show me your, show me your reputation. Show me your weightiness, God. Let, let me just see your awesomeness, God. And in Exodus 33, 18... Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim, I'm going to reveal the name of the Lord before you. Some, sometime in Renew, it may be years down the road, um, I'm going to do a study one of these days on the names of God. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, I mean, it just gets me excited just thinking about it now. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God responds to Moses' desire, that request, to see his glory by declaring his name, his attributes. There he says goodness, his graciousness, his compassion, and his and his emotions. Then in Exodus 34, verse 6, records God's passing before Moses. Look what it says there. And the Lord passed by before Moses and proclaimed the Lord. There he's given the, he's revealing, proclaiming the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord God. Now get this, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now I'm telling you, God wants to reveal the same thing to us. It's what draws us in. It's what invites us in. It's what causes us to want more of that. I mean, if you've ever been around somebody who is just, they're just a lovely person. There's just, they're wonderful. There's just an awesomeness about them. Ever been around people like that? You just want to be around them all the time. Man, you make me feel so loved. You make me feel so important. You're so kind to me. I want to be around a person like that. And that's what God reveals to Moses. Why? So Moses would desire more of that. Ever been around somebody who's just nasty? and grumpy, and condescending, get away from me. Nobody wants more of that. We didn't even want what we got, let alone more of it. Isn't it amazing when God revealed his glory to Moses? Look at that scripture verse. I underlined them. Those are all positive. Not 50-50, the Lord God merciful and gracious, angry and jealous, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and judgment and wrath. No. All of those attributes that God revealed to Moses were positive. Most people think if God ever revealed himself to us, oh my gosh, one look from him and I'll drop dead. 
He'll be so angry and upset with me and disappointed and frustrated. I wouldn't want to look into that face. That's, that's, sometimes that's our perception of God. And it's why we, we don't draw near to him. Because we have not truly beheld God. We have, we have beheld an image of God that we have created. When he discloses himself to Moses, when he discloses himself to you, he will reveal very positive, exciting, desirous, awesome aspects of his nature and his attributes. The greatest dimensions of God's glory is his character. Who is he? It's his personality. It's his kindness, his mercy, his justice, his truth, love, peace. And he looks for us to behold that, to look into that, to experience that. Because he knows when you do, you're going to become what you behold. And you're going to be transformed into the image you're looking at. I just believe when we behold and experience God as he truly is, it will melt the hardest of hearts and overcome the strongest of wills. Carolyn, you're always asking me how to pray for this person, how to pray for that person. God, reveal your glory to them. God, reveal your attributes. I'm I'm not picking on you, am I? And she's going to, I probably shouldn't have pointed her out like that. But I mean, you know, we, we talk about this, you know, a lot. Any of you, if you've got people that, that are, that have hardness of heart in your family, people that are distant from God, just begin to pray that God would reveal his glory to them, that God would reveal his attributes. And you don't have to, you don't have to get technical with God and say, God, I, I want you to reveal your love, but, but don't reveal your jealousy. Later, but let's get him first in the door, let's get him saved, and then God will tell him the bad stuff about you. You don't have to, God, reveal your glory. Reveal your character. Reveal your attributes to him. And I'll guarantee you, when they see that, it will melt the coldest of hearts and overcome the strongest of wills. So beholding, again, just peering into, looking at, meditating, experiencing God's attributes, his emotions, is how we behold his glory. And this is the process. This is God's plan from the foundation of the earth that he has put in place that will allow us to be transformed and made into his likeness. There's no other way. When we begin to behold, to understand, and to experience God's emotions toward us, a corresponding emotion is awakened in our hearts. When we begin to behold, to experience, to understand God's emotions toward us, a corresponding emotion will be awakened in us 
as well. The same emotion that we gaze upon and behold from God's heart comes alive in our own hearts and we just reciprocate that back to him. It'll begin to flow out into others. So how do our hearts become alive? How do our hearts become awakened? How do we get free from the addictions, from the bondages? How do we, how do we break free from the prisons of anger, of bitterness? The pain of the past. The Apostle Paul, again, gives us the key to that in Colossians 3, verse 2 and 10. And there he instructs us, set, fix, focus your mind on things above. Not on things on earth. And we have this saying, oh, you know, you can become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly use. Trust me, none of us get to that place that you are going to be so heavenly minded that you'll be of no earthly use. That isn't how God works. I think that's just kind of a little saying that we've come up with to excuse us from doing this very verse. Set, fix, focus continually is what the Greek stresses there. This isn't a one-time thing. It is an ongoing process. Set, fix, focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, and have put on the new man, which, now get this, which is renewed. How? In knowledge, understanding, revelation, after the image of him that created him. Look at that. He's telling you. Put on the new man. Put on that new creation in Christ. It's renewed. In knowledge, revelation, after the image of him that created him. God's heart and desire is to flood the heavens and the earth with the knowledge of God. That, that's, that's, that's what God is doing. Every day, every moment, the heavens and the earth are filled with the knowledge of God. Question is, will you take the time to focus, to fix, to set your mind On that. When the knowledge of God, the revelation of God, floods our hearts and our spirits, it will bring forth. It's just a natural byproduct. You don't have to make it happen, it'll automatically happen. When you just begin to just focus, fix your mind on the knowledge of God, it will bring forth the spiritual renewal and transformation of the heart and the mind that we all so desperately seek. It's the thing that'll draw us out of those places of sin, of rebellion. It'll draw us out of that and into his presence. And this will only occur, this only happens when we come into contact with God and the truth about him, the truth about us through his word. We have to get the revelation from this. 
And when we get the revelation from this and we begin to fix and to set our minds upon it, it'll lead us into all truth. It, it will transform and change us more and more into the image of his son. Throughout the Old Testament, I mean, we see this. The prophets, I mean, they declared God's desire, his plan, his mission to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. The full expression of God's personality, ways, plans, and purposes. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the weightiness, the awesomeness, the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. What a great analogy. Hosea 4.1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is not truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. In other words, what he's saying, it's there, you just haven't accessed it. You haven't tapped into it. You're not searching for it with all your heart. Hosea 6.3 and verse 6 says, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. It's there. It's here. Pursue it. Go after it. Study it. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart, open the eyes of my understanding so that what I am beholding in here, I can become in here. Pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established. That knowledge of the Lord is established. It's there. As the morning, he will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The knowledge we seek about God comes first and foremost through his inspired word. The things we set our mind on from above is we set our gaze upon the heart of God and his thoughts, his passions, his desires, his emotions toward us, and those are revealed in here. See, oftentimes what we want to do is we kind of want to come and we want to read into the text and we want the text to say something that agrees with us. I mean, I see this all the time. That's, we are not here to transform the word of God. The word of God is here to transform us. We are not here to change the word of God. The word of God is here to change us. I'm sorry, those of you that agree with gay marriage, you're wrong. Not because I say you're wrong. The word says you're wrong. Those of you who are pro-choice, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Not because I say so, but because the word of God says so. Adulterer, 
I'm sorry, you're wrong. Not because I say so, because the word says so. You need to be changed by the word and stop trying to change the word to say what you want it to say to fit your lifestyle. It doesn't work. That is not transformation. That's deception. Somebody came to me a couple of weeks ago said they're leaving the church because he's a practicing homosexual. He's been coming here for years. And apparently I said something that upset him. Imagine that. So I said, you know, you've been coming here for years. I mean, I don't remember what I said, but I mean, that, that wasn't the first time you heard me say something like that, wasn't it? He said, no. And he was just all riled up and he was all upset. And he said, well, I, you know, I just got to be honest with you. I don't remember exactly what I said. What did I say? He said, I don't know. I don't remember. So well, you sure worked up into a lather over it. And so I said to him, I said, can I ask you, you've been coming here for years. And I said, are, are you open to God changing your heart on this issue? And he said, no. And I said, well, can I ask you this? I said, is this the only issue that you disagree with me on? He said, yes, I love this church. I love you. And I said, well, I don't talk about that all the time. So are you really going to make that big of a decision over an issue I really don't talk about a whole lot? I mean, does that make sense to you? And you can't even tell me or remember what I said? Left. Why? Doesn't want to be transformed. I want to transform this. My knowledge, my experience, my way. I say no way. It's not how God works. I don't I don't like that. I, I wish it was this way. That we could just simply change the word of God to fit our particular circumstances. No one would be happier than I. It's just not how it works. So I got to live with that. You live with that. So as Guinness, as we behold the truth of this, it's going it, it's, it's to be difficult at times. It's going to be painful. You're going to get corrected. But you know what? That's what a loving father does. He corrects his children because he loves us. And he wants what's best for us. I was reading oh, I, that one book out there. Um, there's one, I think there's one copy out there. Um, it's called How to... How to do right when your spouse does wrong. And she makes a, I was reading last night and she made a great point in there. She talked about how, how her father, you know, growing up, she said her father always kind of said two things that really bugged her. She would, she would ask to do something and, and, or she, he would ask, she would ask for something and he would say no and she would say why. And she said his two favorite responses were because I said so and she didn't like that one. The other one that he would use is I know better. 
You know, sometimes we just need to accept because it says so and God knows better. That's tough sometimes. And I've, I've had to feel the sting of that sometimes. When I want to do or go or say or I don't want to go, I don't want to say because I said so and because it's good for you. The key to awaken our hearts and our emotions toward God and yet so few people actually take the time to pursue him or to expose themselves to his knowledge which the earth is full of. Hosea 4.6 warns that God's people are destroyed because of a lack of that knowledge of God. Lives are destroyed. You know, again, whether, whether you like it or not, lives are destroyed in abortion. Lives are destroyed in, in, in promiscuous behavior. I, I mean, they're destroyed. And again, it's because we do not seek or we just go against the knowledge of God. My way's better. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end, that way leads to death. They should have put that in the Bible. I think they did. I'm quoting a Bible verse there. There's a way that seems right to a lot of people. But in the end, that way just leads to destruction. Hosea said, people, my people are destroyed. Their lives are destroyed. Their lives are made a mess because they do not pursue or they reject the knowledge of God. I like this. Psalm 24, 27, 4 reveals the heart and passion of David. I mean, David was a, a man who was after God's own heart. How? How did he do that? What did that look like? great question. He tells us, look here, he says, the one thing, the main thing, the big thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I'm going to pursue, that I'm going to seek, that I'm going to go after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, again, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Why would you want to behold the beauty of the Lord? To become beautiful. To be pleasing in God's sight. That's, that's what that means there. So as you behold the beauty of the Lord, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, that beauty realm of the Lord. Again, that's the knowledge of God. When you begin to understand the beauty realm, partly how God reveals himself in that, it's just amazing. He says, behold the beauty of the Lord, which is the knowledge of God, and to inquire in his temple. If we beheld what David beheld in God, we would live as victorious as he lived. We would carry our hearts before God the way David did. We would have the kind of relationship with God that David did. If we'll just make that our one thing. 
dwell in the house of the Lord. Behold his beauty. Inquire in his temple. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, you're going to find. Knock, the door's going to be open. Again, another great thing that should have been put in the Bible. And you know what? This is available to us just as it has been to men and women from the beginning of time, and it will be available till the end of time. It's how God works. It's his plan. It's his predetermined plan before he ever spoke anything into creation. Here's how I'm going to bring about transformation. Here's how I'm going to draw people into an intimate walk with me. I'm just going to begin to show them. I'm going to begin to reveal to them who I am, how I work, and they're just going to fall in love with me, and they're going to want a deeper walk with me. That's, that was his plan from the beginning. And we can either receive that or we can reject that. We can get into that or we can, we can walk away from that. This is one reason why David desired to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. It's why he desired the knowledge of God because he knew the results of that would be that he would be changed and transformed in his heart toward the Lord and in his heart toward others. Yet this is one of the most neglected, most misunderstood, and misapplied principles in the body of Christ today. And it's why so many Christians are trapped in addictions, brokenness, hopelessness, and lacking victory in their relationship with the Godhead. Let me just close with a couple verses here. Romans 8, chapter 5 through 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh. Now get this. Again, what you behold is what you become. For those who live according to the flesh, set your minds on the things of the flesh. If you're feeling fleshy, it's because your mind is set on fleshly things. What you behold is what you become. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You become spiritual by beholding spiritual things, true biblical spiritual things. When you do that, your spirit's going to come alive. Your heart's going to be awakened. One of Pastor Mark's favorite verses, Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because what you behold, you become. But be transformed By the renewing of your mind. What do you renew it with? The word. The washing of the word. And when that happens, you'll prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect, the will of God. When you are transformed through the renewing of your mind according to the word of God, what happens is you will begin to discover the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's incredible. Let me close with this. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the spirit The part of you that's going to go to be with God when the flesh dies is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The knowledge of God, God's eternal attributes, his characteristics, those are eternal. They're not going to pass away with this age. The things here upon the earth are temporary, but the things of the Spirit, the things of God, they are eternal. And those are the things which are going to renew, transform, and change our inward man. Amen?